Hey guys, and welcome to the next episode of the Shane Walsh Fitness Podcast. Thank you so much for listening over the last few weeks. It's gone a little bit crazy uh, over the last few weeks with the amount of guests that I've had on. So I'm very grateful for those people coming on and the, all the likes and shares that you've given on social media. So thank you for for doing that, and I hope you continue to do so. So this week is is a special episode for me. I know I've been trying to organise this with uh, Amelia Thompson for quite a while. Uh, just things have got in the way on both of our sides. Uh, so Dr. Amelia Thompson is an online nutrition consultant and life coach. She's also a sport nutrition lecturer. Uh, and I love her message on Instagram. So on Instagram, Amelia is Amelia Thompson PhD as her name on Instagram. She loves helping people with their relationship with food and a huge advocate of mindful eating. Uh, her message in particular on kind of positive body image is a big reason why so many people, I think, go to her for her information. And it's a no BS approach, which is a lot of BS in the fitness industry at the minute. So, Amelia, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. Sorry it took me so long. <laughs> it was both of us, so there's no one person to blame. So, uh, Amelia, for those who aren't aware of your story or how you got into fitness, can you kind of talk a little bit more about that? Yeah. So I um, have quite an academic background, so I studied at uni um, sports biomedicine and I did a master's in sports nutrition and a PhD in exercise physiology. So I've always been really interested in the science side of things, um, but it wasn't really until I started getting into the gym myself um, and into bodybuilding that I really fell into the fitness industry and kind of really started to fall in love well fall in love with what I could do in the fitness industry rather than the industry as a whole I suppose um so I I've always been into exercise and training and then I went through a really um crappy time shall we say with with a man and at that time it was when I was doing my PhD and at that time uh, all the men around me um were very much sort of proponents of, of um, weight training and they said let's let's go and get you strong it'll make you feel better and so I just started going to the gym and getting kind of getting strong shall we say um in hatred of this man pretty much so we can thank him for that now um and then yeah I got I started looking into competing it's when um bikini fitness kind of had just started a couple of years um ago and I liked the look of it it wasn't too extreme at that point um, and then I started getting to competing and from that I found this kind of space in the industry where there were there weren't a lot of people talking about the science behind it you know it was very bro dominated at that time um, and male dominated as well actually so I kind of found myself in this niche place where I could talk about science and I could be brutally honest. Nobody was honest a couple of years ago. You'll probably know yourself, like three, four years ago, people just, it was just such a game face. There was no honesty about processes around competing or nutrition. Um, and so I just fell in love with being really honest and it kind of escalated from there. No, it's it's definitely a definitely a no BS approach that you've definitely adopted anyway. Um, and it's it's awesome to awesome to see, because uh, there is a lot of BS out there. Uh, like you've alluded to that you're kind of the world of competing already. Uh, when you went into that world, like it seems to be a lot of people are going into that realm. Uh, both coaching and kind of people and PTs and P some PTs are getting clients ready, which is great. Uh, for Anyone that ha isn't aware of the world competing, could kind of, did this have any effect on your relationship with food or yourself or your mindset or anything like that? Yeah, so for me, I had already a bit of a disordered relationship with food. I had come from quite a running background. I'd grown up around Kate Moss times when, you know, skinny was was kind of valued over everything else and I think a lot of women of my age I'm 32 a lot of women around my age kind of grew up around that and were told not to take up space you know be small and be skinny um, and so as a result of that environment yeah like I had some disordered eating as it was and actually competing I think nowadays gets the blame for people having these distorted relationships with food but I don't necessarily I don't think competing is to blame I think what happens is that people that have disordered eating relationships in the first place fall into competing because it's just another way of controlling what they do a lot of the time so I 
I when I started weight training, it really helped my relationship with food, and I felt strong, and I felt empowered, and I ate more, and I lost the attachment to scale weight, and I felt great. And then I dieted. Um, quite, I had a coach the first time I competed, only the first time, and then I did the rest of the years without it. But he was great, but it was very much a meal plan approach, and there was no talk about what happened after a show. It was very much let's just diet you into the show. Um, and this was, and he, like I said, he was great, and he tried to manage things post show. But I didn't know what to expect post show, and what I found after my first show was that any disordered eating habits that I had, it came back with a vengeance beyond anything that I'd ever experienced before. Um, and I really struggled mentally with watching my body change from every single day looking to see if I had a new ab vein or striation somewhere to then going oh okay today I've gained half a kilo and I, I look softer and it was mentally very very hard and anyone that's gone through an extreme diet knows that feeling of finishing it and and just not knowing what to focus on anymore and I think nowadays it's a lot more spoken about um which is amazing but at the time nobody spoke about it and I, so I was very much this was 2014 so I was very much how do I manage this myself um and I think now like I said I think now people do tend to blame competing and I don't think it is competing I think you can do competing whilst managing those things um I think it's any sort of extreme restriction period and actually if we look at the science and the evidence we know that that's the case anything that restricts you majorly can lead to disordered eating and binge eating and body dissatisfaction it just so happens that for a lot of people it's under the guise of competing um, and therefore they blame that kind of thing but it's actually just the process as a whole and is there any, is there anything like kind of looking back at when before you started that you kind of change now about kind of the approach that you took at the beginning or kind of say to anyone who is looking to do it yeah so i wouldn't and i'm very much a proponent of i wouldn't change anything because everything that i've been through and done has led me to the point that I'm at now. So it's not necessarily that I would change anything, but you know, I have learned some things in those five years in terms of how I approached it that, that are more beneficial. And I think really basic things whereby you keep your nutrition relatively flexible um, so that you don't have extreme food restrictions so that you start to you know crave those foods uh, you'll be aware of the minnesota starvation experiment where they starved the, star, starved these guys and the one of the guys during that time frame actually wrote a recipe book while he was being starved so to speak because he was so obsessed with food and that's kind of something like that not a lot of people really realize and that's that is basically when i talk to bikini girls and bikini competitors i'm like that's you those ones that are trolling Instagram for food porn and obsessing over food that they can't have, that's the current day equivalent of the Minnesota recipe bookmaker. You become obsessed with food and any sort of really extreme um, food rules in the sense that you can't have specific foods, that can exacerbate that kind of craving and then that post-show basically binge mentality where you just want it all the time. Um, so keeping these types of foods in can be really beneficial to an extent within your calorie budget obviously um most of it really comes from managing post-show expectations and having a plan in place for post-show and it's such a cliche thing to say but ultimately if you want to get into stage condition that you're going to do well you you are going to unhealthy levels of body fat it's not something that you can sustain it is going to mess with your mind it is going to mess with your hormones a lot of the time and it's not healthy and i think that actually that needs to be said for anybody that wants to compete. I prep girls, but I only prep a couple of girls, and they are very well aware that they have to take it to a level that is not compassionate and it's not healthy, but that's what they have to do for that sport. So I think a lot of it comes down to managing expectations and being as healthful as you can with your food choices and keeping it varied, um, keeping you know a variety of food in your diet. You you probably heard or you'll probably spoke to people before that I've had so been so restricted for so long that they think they now have IBS because every time they eat another food their gut just can't cope and so again it's just basic things of keeping a very diet rather than just eating the same thing every single day for 16 weeks yeah I, I, can't, I can't eat tins of salmon or egg whites or <laughs> I just can't look at them they make me gag eggs oh the toss and just make me shudder and I just won't have them in the house every time I walk I won't even go down the aisle in the shop it's got that bad um <laughs> yeah it was so bad 
because I think I was on like 260 grams of protein um, a day and I was like and I, I was on I think I was down to a, probably about 16 1700 calories for the last with 100 grams of carbs for the last two or three weeks because I needed to dig because the stomach was the last thing to go and the uh, I, I pity the people that were around me for that those last two weeks um but like yeah you mentioned you mentioned a little bit of kind of like about uh the kind of eating and restrictive eating and there's kind of a big thing that's coming up a lot in the industry now is uh, um the kind of mindful eating versus intuitive eating can you kind of explain the two of those and kind of the pros and cons of either side yeah so they are quite different they are different things um intuitive eating incorporates mindful based mindfulness based eating within it um mindful eating is very much just a concept that encompasses being intentional with your food being aware of what you're doing and being present in that present in that mood in that food but being present when you're eating and it's very much just about being intentional with your awareness around food and being non-judgmental with it and it's the opposite of what we do especially in the fitness industry we are very much we when we eat we tend to be on our phones or we if we're eating something like pizza then we're judgmental about the fact that we're eating pizza and and we associate guilt with it um and it's and we eat past fullness and all of these concepts that we we kind of do naturally within this especially within this industry mindfulness is the opposite of that so it's just about being aware and non-judgmental about what you're doing um and that forms the basis of this mindful eating um movement movement's not the right word but mindful eating um what's the word i'm looking for what's the word i'm looking for it basically forms mindful eating behaviors so things like not eating with your phone and slowing down your eating um, and eating without any sort of distractions and that's what mindful eating is um, and there is evidence that supports mindful eating alone in terms of improving um, eating habits and reducing disordered eating habits and that's just by being um, more mindful with your meals and also incorporating certain things within your sort of day-to-day so that it can enhance your mindfulness. So things like meditation and mindfulness meditation um, within that. Um, intuitive eating it encompasses mindful eating, but intuitive eating is um, an evidence-based intervention that is very much the opposite of dieting. So it is anti-diet by definition. Intuitive eating is about, in part, listening to your hunger cues and your fullness cues and your satiety cues and eating according to that. Um, That being said, there's a lot more to it and it it involves things like um, mind-body congruence, so really tuning into how you feel um, and moving for health rather than moving moving as punishment for your body. And it has 10 principles that are based on the research and they're all incorporated together to form this kind of intervention. It's very much, intuitive eating very much is no food rules. So, you know, things like uh, good foods and bad foods, you know that's all kind of squashed you can't have any food rules within your day-to-day you can't for example say i'm going to eat this amount of protein every day and that's a food rule that you can't have um and it's really just about making peace with your food so making peace with food honoring your hunger honoring your fullness and honoring your body and honoring your health um and so on the whole the intervention is is fantastic and Again, it is related to things like reduced binge eating and improved body satisfaction. And there is a lot of research that suggests that people who are more intuitive with their eating tend to have better relationships with food and they also have better relationships with their body and they are generally more satisfied with their body and they put less emphasis on their body. Um, People kind of get these two confused. And I think that that's, that can be really detrimental to kind of improving people's relationships with food because um, um, they think that they're intuitive eating when they're not, and then and it can get really blurred lines. So I don't, I am not an intuitive eating practitioner, um, and I know people who are very much intuitive eating only, and they tend to be very anti-diet. But for me, I sit in the middle. I focus very much on mindfulness-based eating, 
um, and that can be done alongside fat loss and it can also be done alongside muscle gain and there are some food drills in there that can can be used um, and it's quite all-inclusive rather intuitive eating is more, much more structured um, and I don't claim to be a full expert in terms of the research in that area because it's quite comprehensive. Brilliant okay I know you, you, you kind of mentioned kind of I, I sent you over kind of a list of questions beforehand and you mentioned uh, pizza um, and some people would kind of have this food stigma that that's kind of a bad food and the good v bad food food stigma seems to be out there a lot, particularly on social media. Um, have you kind of got any tips for kind of challenging the good v bad food stigma at all? Yeah, I think the good food bad food thing is it's come from diet culture, and it's one of the really strong negatives of diet culture. Um, in the sense of you know we grew up thinking that you know, low fat foods, low sugar foods were kind of given this health halo that they were they were good for us. Um and over time this has developed into things like, you know, clean eating, which by definition means that if you're eating something clean, then something else you eat is dirty and therefore bad. Um, then we had the development of things like cheat meals in the fitness industry, which is one of the most one of my most hated terms and one of the most detrimental things that we can kind of put in our vocabulary because anything whenever we say that one food is good we inherently mean that another food is bad and one of the issues and one of the reasons that people have sort of disordered eating habits is that we associate foods as bad foods and then we we attached guilt to them and as soon as somebody feels guilt um as soon as somebody feels guilt when they eat something, then their behaviour changes completely because they come from a place of negativity and they come from a place of guilt. And so rather than just, for example, saying, I'm going to eat a piece of pizza or two slices of pizza, they'll have two slices of pizza and then they'll, they'll feel guilty for it. And rather than just acknowledging the fact that they feel like that, they will then potentially have another eight slices of pizza and finish it as a way to kind of numb that feeling of guilt. And... And that's that's the issue. So whenever I talk about disordered eating, I you know I don't work with people with eating disorders as such. I work with people who are very subclinical and, and don't get that support um, from clin from medical professionals. You know, so people that have some sort of disordered eating habits. Um, but that's what we you see a lot, and it comes and I and I work with a lot of people that have come from these types of bro coaches in the fitness industry who have told them you know they can have a cheat meal once a week, and and all it does is as soon as they remove any sort of structure from their other days, they start eating all these foods that they think are bad for them. And it just leads to them spiraling into, you know, some sort of binge eating behavior because they feel bad about it. And they just don't, they don't realize that they're making themselves feel bad about it by calling it a bad thing. Um, and so I, food neutrality is part of the intuitive eating movement. And it's one part of the intuitive eating movement that, that I love in the sense of, you know, food doesn't have a moral value. You know, I think that that's the first thing that everyone can do within their vocabulary and within their nutrition that will infinitely help their eating habits. Just saying no food is good and no food is bad. Food is food is delicious and it's good for us. And, you know, nothing should be restricted in that sense. And like, have you kind of got any tips on kind of how someone could reframe their mind from kind of going from the good good v food? Good food, free, v bad foods, food stigma. Easy for me to say. Yeah. <laughs> the first thing is, is, is literally change your vocabulary. And it's so simple, but you have the power to choose what comes out of your mouth. And you have the power to choose, you know, what foods you have, you eat, etc. If you're following someone on Instagram that says, I'm having a cheat meal, unfollow them. If you're following someone on Instagram that says, food is inherently bad or good unfollow them you have that responsibility yourself to say all of these foods are okay and and don't listen to the bullshit that says otherwise and i think that in a lot of these parts a lot of these things that we talk about there is a level of personal responsibility that says you choose what you expose yourself to and you you to an extent choose what you tell yourself so you have to say to yourself if you find yourself using the words i've had a, i've had a good meal today 
unless it was because it was delicious stop yourself and call yourself out for that I think that that's really really important um, and tell people around you to do the same so if you have a partner who is very similar and they, they say things like oh, I'm going to have a cheat meal ask them you know have this discussion and say let's remove these words from our vocabulary this is why it's important to me um, and, and work together with the people around you to remove that it's it is hard to get it out of your mentality and, and to get it out of your vocabulary but it's you know it's your responsibility to do that and just ignore all the advertising you know I obviously like on my Instagram I will try and pick up on those types of advertising and, and call it out um but you know you can't pick up on it all and it's it's good to go into the supermarket with a critical mind and look at food and say well why is that why why does that packet have an angel on the front because it's low sugar or whatever it is and I think it's just challenging your old beliefs is really really important not using words like guilty and etc yeah no I, I love that I love that kind of whole change in the kind of the vocab it's something so similar so, so simple but it's kind of it, it may be a little bit more difficult for some people to kind of actually put it into play and it's just it's going to take time um so I, I love that one um I think I think as well just on that when you said it's quite difficult to, to put it into play, this is something I hear quite a lot from people. They say, oh, it's really hard to change to change the way that you think. It's really hard to not call something a cheat meal. But, you know, it's really also really hard to go into the gym and hit a PB. It's also really hard to hit your macros some days. You know, it's also really hard to make sure you go to bed on time. It's net, People just think that this kind of mindset shift is something that just should just come really easily. It takes just as much work to improve your mindset as it does to, to, to get, gain muscle you have to be as intentional with that as you do with everything else yeah I, I, I agree with you there like even if you kind of set aside kind of five or ten minutes a day to kind of easy, zone out with no phone in the room no nothing it's kind of I think there's one of the, the social media influencers here in Ireland OH Fitness has a so Love Island is on at the minute which is kind of seems to be taking over all of social media and she has a thing called uh, I think it's called Book Island so rather than having watching Love Island why don't you set yourself 10 minutes to watch to read a book before you actually turn on Love Island so she's trained her she's training her mind she's trying to change other people's ways of kind of actually educating themselves and kind of in the same way of kind of setting themselves a task and being able to do it and setting themselves up for that rather than going out and watching Love Island which is I'm watching it but it's absolute drivel it turns off my mind after a long day at work but it also it's it, like Love Island can be kind of potentially be giving people some sort of body dysmorphia if they're if they're unhappy watching it uh there is something going on in their head that kind of like if they're looking at someone with the abs they're kind of like oh why don't i look like that those people are, have been training for years they potentially have had a coach for the last six months a year because they've known they've been going on to it and they've worked their asses yeah. off and there could be other circumstances at play and it's the same with social media like you mentioned about kind of getting off social media and one of the things i kind of i'm an advocate of is kind of a social media audit uh, I did one in December and I was following all these people on social media and I was just like, these, this is not conducive to me in any way. And I feel so much better for it now. And now I'm just working on trying to get the app on my phone and trying to get the social media down, um, which is a an issue that I'm working on. <laughs> It's hard when it's your business. Yes. It's hard when it's your business. I actually had an episode, this has happened to me twice recently, where I've done the same and I've taken a step back from social media for a weekend and Instagram actually then blocks me from, from doing certain things for 48 hours because it notices that I've reduced my activity. So you get punished for actually reducing your time, which is ridiculous. But I actually, I posted something yesterday um, on this it was a there was a review recently published and and they looked at social media use and it wasn't a direct correlation but there was a correlation between you know the more time spent on social media and the more time spent on social comparison so whether that's social media or love island or whatever it is the higher rate of body dissatisfaction so if you flip that around the less time you spend comparing yourself the, the more satisfied you are with your body and yet when you completely hate your body, you go onto social media for, you know, motivation as such or inspiration. But for a lot of people, it does the complete opposite. And again, it comes down to, like you just said, taking responsibility and saying, 
right, okay, so the science says, yes, if I if I spend a lot of time on social media, I might feel worse about my body. That's the first thing. And then actually, what does it make you feel like? How Assess how you feel when you watch Love Island. Assess how you feel when you go on Instagram. I watched Love Island the other night, and I it was the first one I'd watched, and I turned it off, and I was like, God, I kind of want a boyfriend. And I thought, I feel crap about myself. And I never say... I want a boyfriend but I felt really crap about myself after watching Love Island and I thought why have I just put myself through that so then last night I, I, I was going to watch it and I thought no I felt crap last time so I'm not going to watch it Um, so it's a personal responsibility thing and, and it's all well and good saying the science is there um, but you know yourself how you feel if you spend too long on social media yeah and you have to put it into practice there's no there's no point in kind of saying I'm going to do this and that and then like just kind of go along for another two weeks or three weeks and still feeling the same shit way about yourself without having done anything about it um, exactly that yeah I, I've gone I, I think I've done two episodes now in the last week and I've gone off on a tangent on Love Island so I do apologise <laughs> Um, it takes so much shocking. <laughs> it's so bad. Um, we tracking is a big thing uh, at the minute. The kind of some people are in the kind of the the love tracking camp, and some people are in the I hate tracking uh, camp. Um, I'm taking a break from it at the middle at the minute. Just kind of going how I feel and kind of roughly know and understand how what I'm eating. Um, what are your thoughts on kind of the tracking food using my fitness pal and stuff like that? And particularly at kind of the, at the beginning of someone's journey would be kind of the, the main one. Yeah, so I, it, it, this is such a, a cliche response, but it's so person specific. You know, some people respond really well to tracking and following, you know, tracking in my fitness pal type calorie deficit, you know, the evidence is there the actual, you know, clients who use it show, you know, improvements in fat loss from tracking. We know that that can be really beneficial for some people. Um, Long term, that's not to say that tracking is beneficial for them long term, but, you know, short term tracking for fat loss can produce short term fat loss results. The issue, I think, that comes with any sort of dieting research is that, a lot of the time the diet research suggests that long term it's not necessarily beneficial and that's not just tracking that's tracking or any sort of diet um but if you can support people through the phase of dieting with a calorie deficit but also with nutritional education so if you've got somebody tracking for example you can help to educate them around food at the same time of as them tracking that's part of the process that can be hugely beneficial for people for long-term you know fat loss maintenance and we know that diets are not supposed to be long-term you know then that's not the purpose of them Um, so for some people it can be really beneficial also for some people that have been that are relatively underweight but not eating disorder level but you know um, relatively underweight tracking can be really useful because they have potentially ignored their sort of hunger and satiety signals for so long that they don't quite know um how hungry they are and how much energy they need and tracking for them can be useful to ensure that they eat sufficient amounts and so for fat loss and potentially for body fat and muscle gain it can be really useful Um, that being said there is also some evidence that suggests that intuitive eating can potentially be beneficial for people trying to gain weight so it is very person specific I think, do I think long term people should track their food forever? Personally, I don't think that that's beneficial. Um, but I know that some people in, enjoy it. And they, you know, I've had people that want to track for years and I have to kind of pull them away from, I don't pull them away, but I encourage them to move away from that. And once they do, they feel better. Um, I think it's demonised a lot. And I think it's demonised by this anti-diet movement that we have at the moment. Um, and I don't think that that's necessarily fair i think that it can be beneficial from an education point as well as from a you know a fat loss point or a fat gain point yeah and like my fitness pal the a lot of the kind of the people i particularly work with females and a lot of the people would use the actual calculations that my fitness pal provide them with in order with the kind of the calorie ranges and it it breaks my heart when they the calorie ranges i was i was i was before we came on i was doing like a, a screen recorder on my phone of kind of the the kind of the calories that they've given me and the calories compared to calories i'm on and it was it was streets apart uh went through the goal and everything like 
it have you kind of got any advice on how should people should kind of count the calories or any of the calculators that that are out there that would you'd recommend yeah so yeah completely ignore what my fitness pal says about how many calories you should have like you just said it's i don't know how they calculate it but it's complete rubbish um i think so you know you can use the basic um metabolic rate equation so it's the highest benedict equation which you can get online um diabetes uk has one that you just type your numbers in so you just have to have your body weight um your activity level your body height and your gender and you can figure out what your um, basic metabolic rate calories is so that's basically your calories that you need to sustain yourself at rest and then these calculators will give you a multiplication factor depending on how active you are um, and you can multiply that number by that um, and then you can determine from that roughly what your calculated um, calorie intake should be to maintain body weight it is a calculation so it is an estimation it's not going to be bang on you can trial that at your current body weight and if you maintain body weight then that means it's probably roughly your maintenance calories give or take um, and then if you want to diet you can take calories away from that and in terms of how extreme you want to go as long as you can sustain it you can you can pretty much drop your calories to like we don't want to be ridiculous here but if you want to drop your calories 500 calories a day you should you should be able to do that potentially more potentially less um I am very much a proponent of, you know, extreme calorie deficits for some people. If they potentially have a lot of body fat to lose, for example, that more extreme can be really useful. Um, but if you, but that's not necessarily beneficial for everyone. So, you know, you can work out your maintenance calories and go from there. Generally speaking, and a question that I get a lot, and you probably get quite a lot, is people that say, I'm eating, I'm eating in a calorie deficit and I'm not losing body fat. And that's when you know that you're not eating in the calorie deficit. I can see you, you're like, oh God. <laughs> but it's true. That, and these, it happens all the time, right? And, yeah. and, that's, and that's either because somebody's calculated their calories, their um, maintenance calories and or deficit calories wrong. So they've actually got the wrong target number or they um, are tracking incorrectly and they're eating more than they think they are. Yeah. Um, or they're lying to themselves. Uh, yeah, it's, so I, it's yeah, a lot of people I would say would probably be would probably be overeating without even realizing it. Would probably be the most part of it. And my my fitness pal is good for kind of educating you on how many calories are in a certain food or how much protein is in a certain food. But for most parts, there is an error in it. And I'd kind of if you are, and a lot of people kind of come to to me and kind of say, oh, how do I do this if I'm going out for dinner or how if I'm going out to the shop or whatever. There is a barcode scanner on it, which is very, very good. Say if you're out in the shop, you can simply pick up the packet of rice or spaghetti or whatever it may be, scan the barcode. But if you're out for dinner, I would say you're probably better off kind of overestimating it uh, because you have no idea what's going into that food. You have no idea if there's how much butter, which most restaurants literally just lather everything in butter. Uh, you have no idea what's going into the dough if you're having a pizza. Um, I have no idea where I was going off with that tangent. Um, so the other thing is... Uh, yeah, there's a lot of variation in yeah. that. Yeah. I've actually done a post, I've not posted it yet, but literally on, on that, and it's, you know, reasons why your calorie intake's not right. And people think that it's something major, but actually, you know, food labels vary by 10% of what they say on the food label. Then you've got errors in MyFitnessPal. Then you've got errors that you make in MyFitnessPal. Combined, you know, your, your calorie intake could vary so much day to day. But that's also really useful for people to know so they don't get so obsessed. You know those people that get really obsessed with maybe going 10 grams of carbs over or, you know, 40 calories over? Um, you could be doing that anyway without even realising because of the variation and all of those steps up to that point. So it's useful for people to, to relax a little bit because the numbers are never going to be 100%. And if people are kind of looking to kind of find another alternative to my fitness pal in order to kind of guide their journey should we say have you kind of get, got any other tips that you use what you use with your clients yeah so i think i think um if you've come from so do you mean people that have come have, have tracked already or do you so mean, some you people know, some people have tracked already or else if they're coming from a most from majority of my clients or majority of my online clients are coming from a slimming world kind of background where they haven't really tracked 
and they haven't really done it that way. Um, some some of them may not want to track because they may have this negative connotation towards kind of my fitness pal in the first place because of what they've seen on social media or what they've heard through podcasts or, or the media or whatever it may be. But have you kind of got any advice for those people that don't necessarily want to just input the data into my fitness pal? That's really interesting, actually, because I've got, um, similar to you probably, I have quite a few clients that have come from Slimming World or Weight Watchers, and they, for me, anecdotally have become the people who love to track most because they realise, because they come from this kind of background of, A, weight is the most important thing in the world, and B, there are certain foods that are bad and certain foods that are good or sinful. Um, They actually love tracking because it shows them that there's no bad food. Um, and actually they they love the flexibility of it and all the stuff that they didn't get with these types of programs they they feel that they have it with tracking so they tend to actually really enjoy it but if you don't want to track then learning food learning things like what protein is um, which you you probably know from these programs but not necessarily Um, and seeing and having sort of rough guidelines so saying you know I'm going to have a lean protein source um, with my meals three times a day and I'm going to have two different vegetables with each meal and I'm not going to maybe snack um, between meals and little things like that that you can implement that are actually harder than you think. Saying I'm not going to snack between meals if you're a snacker is actually quite difficult to do. Um, but with anything, you know, phasing them in slowly so saying, you know, you're not going to, you're not going to eat after dinner for four days this week. Little things like that can be really beneficial. I think although you don't want really structured food rules in that sense I think that having basic guidelines where you incorporate healthy basically the health eating guidelines of you know the eat well plate where you have half of your plate is vegetables and a quarter of your plate is as protein that's a you know that's a great place to start but I do think that yeah you don't want to force tracking on everyone there's so many other ways to do it and if you've got somebody for example who wants to drop body fat that doesn't want to track then potentially implementing things like intermittent fasting can be really useful you know hold on holding off your first meal of the day till a little bit later on or having like a, a window of eating can be really useful because you just inherently eat slightly less um, because you've got less time to do it so there are ways around it you don't have to track you don't have to know what your calories should be um it's just about educating yourself again around what is a what healthful food is i suppose yeah big time i know we're kind of we alluded to the slimmer world diet there and kind of the people that potentially come from that background can uh kind of can be transfixed on the scales because they have used to have the weigh-ins um have you kind of got any advice for people that may be kind of a little bit uh that can be a little bit obsessed with the scales and affects their moods and all that kind of stuff yeah first of all my first bit of advice is why are you weighing in the sense of if if you so let's kind of think generally these people tend to be fat loss uh, people with fat loss goal that are trying to lose weight and you know there are so many other measures of fat loss and health than scale weight it's and if scale weight makes you feel crap why are you doing it you know you can take things like body measurements you can look at your clothes fitting you can look at your performance in the gym you can look at so what we what we talk about a lot or what I talk about a lot is is having process-based goals rather than outcome-based goals because what we get with these kind of if we imagined weights as being an outcome-based goal so say uh, somebody comes and says I want to be 60 kilos what happens is that you know someone will start to drop body weight they'll get towards 60 kilograms and then something will happen they'll have a social event and their body weight will go up slightly and because they're basing everything on this body weight they've moved away from this kind of outcome goal of 60 kilograms and they feel crap about themselves and then they end up in this kind of they go screw it i'm just going to sabotage myself because i can't do it and then they gain the weight that they've lost and they start again and then they go through this whole cycle again because they're focused so much on scale weight. If you take that scale weight out and you look at process goals, so things like I'm going to go to the gym four times this week or I'm going to do 10,000 steps five days this week or I'm going to eat you know, five, more fibre each day. Um, thinking about these types of um, process-based goals removes that end point self-sabotage cycle that, that people fall into. So... You know, first of all, say why are you weighing is the first thing. And the other thing, obviously, is that body weight changes so much. You know, your body weight, if you took it in the morning versus if you took it at night, even, it's going to could potentially be, you know, a couple of kilos different. 
And then you get people weighing themselves in the evening and, and freaking out because they've gained body weight. And it, that's water. That's that's the coffee you've drunk. It's all the food you eat today. But that's not a bad thing. Um, and that's, so I think obviously remembering how variable scale weight is. Um, it can vary on salt intake, carbohydrate intake, sleep, stress, all these things. Um, it's not necessarily body fat gain or loss. Um, so I think that's really, really important as well. I just think people put, again, it's part of the culture that we grew up around, this kind of huge emphasis on scale weight that it doesn't actually tell us anything. I think as well with this kind of anti-diet movement that's going on right now, there's a big backlash against BMI and things like that. And, um, BMI is important uh, to an extent. Obviously, there are issues with it as a measure of overall health. Um, but it does give us a little bit of an indication about certain health markers. Um, so, yeah, I think people put too much emphasis on it based on BMI, based on, you know, diet culture and things that we've grown up around. But you don't need to weigh yourself. It doesn't say anything. Like, I, yeah, I'm, I'm an advocate of taking before and after photos. Um, and then I kind of take their measurements as well every couple of weeks because uh, if we need to change things we can kind of change it every so often it needs to be um, but like a case came up recently or a client came up recently and their inches are down their weight was down and then they looked at the the kind of the before and after photo and they saw no difference and I was like your stomach is down 10 inches your shoulders have leaned in your face has gone down and they're like i don't see that have you kind of got any advice for anyone that's like kind of overly critical towards themselves because you're a huge advocate of kind of positive body image and all that kind of stuff have you kind of got any advice for those people yeah i think that's that is quite common as well and that's actually sometimes when scale weight and measurements can be really useful so like i i don't say don't weigh like i've find way to don't wait at all so, you know it's, it's person specific um but with those types of those types of mindsets whereby they're always going to be critical of themselves that's kind of that's not necessarily going to be just restricted to body shape that potentially is, is how they feel about other things in their life and that comes down to a much more holistic view of things so I speak a lot, as you know, on my Instagram about um, how you can improve your mindset day to day. And there are certain evidence-based methods that you can use to improve your mindset that people don't want to admit that they're evidence-based, but they are. So things like practicing, you know, positive affirmations. So every day, genuinely looking at yourself in the mirror and saying, you know, I like this about myself today. It doesn't have to be about how you look. It can be about, you know, your brain or or a nice thing that you've done doing things um saying what you're grateful for every day so taking out five minutes of your day and saying you know i'm grateful for the bed that i sleep in or the water that i've got or you know my best friend whatever it is and i i do that on my social media every day as kind of a reminder to myself and to other people that basic gratitude interventions where you say you're grateful every day has been evidence to support um, improvements in body image, um, improvements in compassion. And a lot of people who have that type of mentality where they're really hard on themselves is because they're not compassionate with themselves. They've never been taught to be kind to themselves before. And I think that that, again, is that it's, it's a, quite a UK-based thing. It's much less prominent in like America and things. People seem to be a lot more happier to be kind to themselves over there. But here, it's like self-deprecation and be horrible to yourself is like a badge of honor and actually it's really really detrimental to our mindsets um and being you know daily gratitude for example like i say can improve um compassion doing things like journaling every day or have keeping a self-compassion journal and just you know saying nice things about yourself every day can reduce um even things like binge eating and any sort of concerns around eating just doing a couple of weeks of self-compassion or journaling can um, reduce these sort of negative impacts on our body. So I just think people, again, they think that change in their body is going to make them feel better about themselves. So and that, that person you've spoken about is a prime example of somebody that's changed their body, dropped fat really successfully by the sounds of it, and still is not happy and still is not kind to themselves. Whereas if they hadn't lost body fat, and instead they've done, say, 12 weeks of daily saying 
what they're grateful for, one thing they like about themselves, um, and saying one thing that's nice to themselves every day for 12 weeks. I would be interested to see what they felt about their body at the end of that 12 weeks. And actually, that's quite good research. Anyway, but that's, that's, that's you know, it's an evidence-based thing. But people think that by dieting, it's going to change how they feel about themselves. Whereas it comes from, it's such a cliche again, but it comes from your head. And it comes from how you think. It doesn't come from what you look like. Yeah, no, I love that. I'm definitely going to rob that. Um, I know <laughs> you're talking about positive affirmations. So I had... Um, an endurance athlete on one of the podcasts recently he has recently he's done 24 marathons in 24 days he has recently ran and cycled across america in 36 days and i was kind of like how the hell did you not like like he his mental strength was phenomenal and he was talking about positive affirmations uh so he allows himself of kind of five minutes a day of negative talk to himself after those five minutes he writes down five positive things and then he talks himself in the mirror or talks down to the camera and watches it back on video. I thought that was probably one of the best po- positive affirmation things that I've seen because he was he was talking about on the episodes. And it was Shane Finn, if anyone wants to follow him. He's phenomenal. He's only like 26, 27 from Kerry in Ireland. Uh, and at one point he lost his team. Uh, the team couldn't get the boulders fell on the road. He decided to proceed and go around the boulders and proceed on the other the rest of his team had to go maybe 120 kilometers backwards to go the long way around. No Wi-Fi, no phone, no nothing, no radio. I was like, well, if I get to the destination, they should get there at some point. And that was his logic. He's like, what's the worst thing that's going to happen? He's like, well, I fall off a mountain. But like, nothing really happened. So he was left He was left with his own devices. He was left with his own thoughts and stuff like that. And that's when he kind of came up with uh, this little remedy. And I thought it was, it was brilliant. Uh, so that episode was uh, i think we recorded that last week so i think it's coming out next week i uh, can't wait to hear the feedback on that he's he's phenomenal um that's that's very very cool very yeah. cool and it's it's the power of just what you tell yourself i am um, sometimes meet my clients or ask my clients to who are who have that have that mindset something really simple that you can do is i actually learned this at um ucla have a mindfulness research center mindfulness awareness research center where it's very they talk about all the evidence behind mindfulness practices and i went to one about a full day on compassion when i was in california and they taught us this trick where you get people to call every time somebody says something negative about themselves in the day tell them to remember it and count it as one so so for example if i came off this podcast to you and i went oh i did a really crap job on that podcast count it as one and then throughout the rest of the day anytime i say something bad or anytime you say something bad about yourself count it again and do it for a couple of days in the week and then look at your scores so i had a client actually check in recently this week i think and she said one day i said 42 negative things to myself in one day and and I and I said, why do you think that you don't feel great? What do you think that says about how you feel when you're telling yourself forty two things that's bad about yourself in one day? And and then obviously you can track it and you can work on mindset and things and you can come back to it and say, right, I'm going to count again and see what the difference is. Um, and one aspect of compassion, which is amazing, is is being able to to realize that you're not your thoughts. So taking a step back and saying all those thoughts in your head, that's not you. You're that person that's deep down listening to all those thoughts going on. And that's um, one of the fundamental concepts of self-compassion. And once you realize that those thoughts can be stopped and, you know, you can count them and then you can say stop, then your world changes because then whenever you have a negative thought in your head, you say stop. That's not a real thought. That's just the voices in my head. And then that's done. And then you move on with your day. And I think you wouldn't, you know, you wouldn't tell your partner 42 things about them that you hated in a day. They wouldn't be your partner for very much longer. And I think that we, we, you know, we do this to ourselves all the time and doing encouraging things like positive affirmations and gratitude stops those thoughts or reduces those thoughts. Yeah, big time. I think I think for a lot of us, sometimes we fall into kind of the victim mentality. Sometimes if something has gone wrong or something or a weight loss journey hasn't gone right or we've had a bad week with kind of the food or we've had a bad week at work, we kind of we're very hard. We can be very hard on ourselves as humans and it's we control our own thoughts. And as you said, if you're having any downtime or you're kind of just kind of 
letting your mind wander, negative thoughts are gonna see are gonna seep in. And it's just important to be able to kind of, as Shane has said, is kind of like have that down to maybe five, ten minutes. I'm not saying as being as rigid as Shane is, or and that's taken him quite a while to get that mental strength. But it's important for you to kind of be able to say, okay, I'm gonna have think like this for X amount, but then you've alluded to journaling, which is huge, and that's definitely helped me since I've had my mental health issues. Uh, and then the other thing is you can always talk to someone and then they'll either uh, give you kind of as what you do is a no BS approach and kind of tell you to cop the fuck on or they'll be they'll show a little bit of compassion to something something more serious going on. Uh, so I love that. Um, so like, and it does impact nutrition, you know, it does. The, the worse you feel about yourself, the, the worse you want to treat your body. Yeah. And that means your nutrition is not going to be great. If you love yourself, you want to treat your body right. So you're going to eat more healthfully. Yeah, big time, big time. Um, and I know we were talking about kind of like the the perfection that we see up on Instagram and or up on Love Island and stuff like that. And we kind of alluded to it a little bit more. Have you have you had any issues yourself rega- regarding kind of looking at people up on social media or had clients and stuff with, like that with any issues? Kind of looking up on social media and kind of going, I want to look like that. Can you get me this X, Y, and Z right now? Um, yeah, yeah, and I think that we are all slightly ex- well. We're all exposed to that if we're on social media, regardless. And like I said, social comparison is unavoidable to an extent. So you just have to you just have to um, watch what you expose yourself to in the first place, because we are all human, and we are you know we're all predisposed to to compare ourselves in some way. I think, you know, it's really easy to say that's somebody's highlight reel and that's filtered. And I was at a a focus group meeting recently about body image and someone, one of the psychologists there who was amazing, she said, you know, people are not comparing themselves to their neighbours anymore. People are comparing themselves to filters. People are comparing themselves to celebrities because we have access to it all the time. And even people are now bringing into um, cosmetic surgery places face tuned pictures of themselves they're not even comparing to other people now. They're comparing to themselves what they could look like if they had a smooth face or whatever it is. And, and we are all, you know, exposed to this now in this in this day and age. So we have to figure out how we manage that. And it's like I said, the evidence is there that it makes us generally doesn't make us feel good. And upward social comparison either motivates you or demoralizes you. And so yeah, my, you know, I have clients that do this, and I, especially in fitness, I get a lot of girls who say I want to look like that bikini girl. Well, that bikini girl is is on a lot of drugs, and and it's the issue as well with not being transparent in the industry. So, you know, I I think that although it would be nice if every male and female that said that we were on drugs, you know, took drugs and said I'm on drugs and I'm also on six hundred calories a day and all of these things, it's not. You know, it's not their responsibility. It's our. We have to manage ourselves and say, the chances are this person is really hungry. Chances are this person is probably on drugs, um, and we shouldn't necessarily expect people to say it. I think that's uh, that's a bit of an issue that I have, a bugbear that I have with people that say that say why can't people? Because if I put an off season or an old off season, I suppose picture up. You know, I get a lot of praise for putting my body out there when it's not lean. And, and people say, I wish more people would do that. And it's, you know, why should they? Everyone's, it's everyone's own social media. They can do what they want. You just have to follow the people and, and you have to look at it with a very much view of this person's probably dishonest. And it's a sad state of affairs, but that's the way that social media is. It's a business for a lot of people. Um, and we can't expect everyone to be transparent. Yeah, big time. And I know I know social media can kind of have negative connotations or kind of negative comments and stuff like that. Uh, I, know, I know one thing that I personally struggle with, which I'm working on continuously, is kind of dealing with comments from other people uh, and how I look and how I should look. Um, and, like, I have no intention of being the biggest person in the world, but as for someone that's working in the fin- fitness industry, you're almost... Uh, expected to kind of be lean all year round you're expected to have these massive muscles you're expected to have abs and i can assure you that's definitely not the case um 
PTs, people in the industry definitely suffer from kind of body dysmorphia more so than some people may realize. But if you've got any tips for kind of people who kind of are getting those comments or uh, people who are struggling with kind of people making suggestions or comments about how they should look. Yeah, it's really, it's, it's, it's a difficult one in the sense of people seem to forget that we're human beings and they just say what they want. And I, yeah, I get it a lot as well. And I think it's really, really difficult and it's so easy to say just to delete it and ignore it and block it. Um, but that is literally the best thing that you can do because people are always going to have things to say. And, and if you think about what you value as a, as a PT or in the fitness industry, you value supporting people to make a change you value um you know being empathetic towards people and helping more people and as a result of that what happens is that you become more well known and you get more followers and as a result of that you are then exposed to more arseholes that are going to put comments and so one way to kind of reframe it and and this is something that i still do is god i'm helping enough people that people then i'm now exposed to people that hate me and are going to troll me for no reason that's quite cool. That means my message is getting out there to more people. And I think sometimes, you know, bullies and, and people like that are, are always going to exist. And you very much put, choose where you put your energy, right? And if you've only got, especially somebody like you that works all, all the hours under the sun, you only have a finite amount of energy. So you don't want to waste it on these people. And it's you, it's a conscious effort to say, I'm not going to give that energy. Um, and it's really, really, really hard to do when it gets under your skin it's really really hard but you don't have that energy to waste so it's very much for me at least I kind of go that's cool that 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 person's taking notice of me however they're doing it it's cool that I offend them because actually that means that that the whole premise of what I do is more popular than ever because these people are coming out of the woodwork that's awesome and then I just tend to just delete it block it block the person and move on and not give it too much energy Unless I'm really hormonal or I've had a bad day, in which case I, I'm all over for a few yeah. hours and and, I, and it does get to me. Um, but I think that's only human. I don't think, you know, I think if we were people that didn't get affected by stuff like that, then we wouldn't be doing the job that we're doing because we are empathetic people and we, we care what people think and how they feel. Yeah, no, big time. I know, I think one of the, the books that helped me big time was a book called The Asshole Survival Guide by Robert Sutton. Um, that's it's 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 a, it's a very good book and it's 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 mainly for kind of people it, you can apply it to all walks of life but it's mainly to do with kind of like your boss being a prick um or people at work uh because you're not going to get on with everyone but like one of the, the biggest tips i've taken away from it is kind of almost killing them with kindness so if they've made a, some sort of comments to you you kind of give a positive positive affirmation back saying thank you and kind of walking off and then that's kind of left them thinking like what what just happened there or whatever and it's just they're kind of more confused by it and so it's kind of like a small win mentally for you and you're kind of leaving with a little bit of endorphins going through you um yeah someone did that to me recently actually i did one of those that, that 10 year thing that was going around the oh, yeah. 10 year transformation. and someone had commented on mine saying wow like do you have enough filler in your lips and i'd replied saying yeah like they're awesome aren't they I'll give you the name of my of my um, person, and she replied saying, "Yeah, they do look really good, actually." <laughs> <laughs> you've told me I've been really nice back and totally taken responsibility, and then you've given me a compliment, and it's like that. Yeah, you're totally right. Kill them with kindness because they don't know what to do. Clearly. <laughs> yeah, because otherwise, if you kind of antagonise the person, that's kind of if you go to the person, they'll almost put up the wall straight away, and like you're then just having a fight. That person's looking for a row. They could be have something going on. They could have a shitty day like some of us do um the last question that i am gonna kind of ask you is regarding we're talking about this all fair uh about kind of the women and kind of the the menstrual cycle um and i wasn't aware of this before i kind of mentioned the fitness industry is how many women are affected by losing their periods and it's probably the most common question that comes through my Instagram on Q I do a QA every Wednesday and it's the most common question. The last three Wednesdays has I've had maybe five or six each each week and it's it's quite scary. And I've had clients have it before. Um have you kind of got any advice for people on how to deal with this? Uh or is there any any yeah any advice really? Yeah, I think it is quite common um for this to happen and it's it's not always but generally it's in response to 
um, low body fat levels or a chronic low energy availability. So energy availability basically means the amount of energy that's left over um, after your day really to do to undertake basic physiological functions including your menstrual cycle and if that is chronically low after a period of dieting for example or after a period of excessive energy expenditure then your body preserves energy and it shuts down menstruation that's basically what happens in a nutshell in most cases we're talking about people that you know that don't have um, any underlying health conditions like PCOS or endometriosis anything like that um the first thing to do is to get it checked by your doctor because it could be something underlying that you don't that you don't know. It's always worthwhile going to get a blood test and speak to your GP about it. Um, I think that's the most important thing. But looking at your energy intake, you know, have you if you've been dieting for a long time, then that's that's probably why, and you therefore have to stop dieting. Um, it's difficult when you work with people who potentially who are competing because they have to get to a certain low level of body fat. And if you've got people who are competing, for example, um, they may choose to put their sport first um, and, and and prioritize that. Um, and provided they then after this after the event are focusing back on on their health, then that if you want to work with people like that, then that's fine. Um, and you have to expect that potentially if you're getting to really low body fat levels but if you are somebody that's not doing a sport you know it's not um, a weight class sport or an extreme endurance sport that's not normal it's not normal to lose your period and also it's not a good thing a lot of people think a lot of women are like yes I don't have my period like it's not a good thing um so it is very much and it sounds awful but it's very much a case of put yourself in a calorie surplus and stay there and stay there and stay there and stay there until your period comes back. Um, it takes potentially longer than you think for your hormones to rebalance, so to speak. And a lot of the time people think, well, I've, I increased my calories and I didn't stop doing cardio two months ago. My period still hasn't come back. That's only two months when you've been in a chronic state of energy restriction for the last 12 months. Or, you know, a lot of people maybe are in like a binge eating cycle or they've put their body under a lot of stress. So that's the first thing is be consistent with a, with a calorie surplus um, and reducing your energy expenditure. And be honest with yourself. If you're still doing um, hours of cardio every day, that you then your body's still under this chronic state of stress. I think as well, um, you know, psychological stress does play a role. And so you have to look at what, what's happening with your overall body stress. You know, are you really stressed out in life and work? And are you sleeping enough? And managing your overall stress is really, really important. It's not just a quick fix of saying, I'm going to put myself, I'm just going to eat more every day and then it will be fine. Look at your overall stress to ensure that, that, that you're managing that as well so that your body is in a lot, I don't want to say a happier state, but it's, you know, it's a lot of a, in a lower stress state. And then doing things like monitoring your essential fat intake. So, you know, your unsaturated fat intake, things like um, olive oil, nuts, those types of things, um, are sources of essential fat that you can't make, your body can't make them. Um, but essential fats are important for hormonal control. So ensuring that you're you're keeping on top of your essential fat intake and your, and your fat intake in general. So having a source of that most days is really important. And just being patient with it. Um, it does take some time. And is there any supplements or anything like that that you'd recommend? I know there was one, I think Martin McDonald mentioned it. I'm going to murder the name of this supplement right now. I think it's Innistall okay. or... Innistall, yeah. yeah. So in, um, people with PCOS, especially Innistall, potentially has potential benefit in terms of um, regulating menstruation. And it's something that, it, you know you can get it on you can get it quite it's quite easily accessible um but yeah there is some evidence to suggest that an osteotop could potentially be beneficial um for re-regulating things but that kind of is an addition to yeah. getting the other things on track yeah. first um another one potentially um which has only got really emerging evidence and it's not something i would blanket recommend and the reason that i'd say this for both of these supplements is that it can interfere with other things so um, this one is called Vitex or Chaste Berry and potentially could potentially could help you regulate hormones, but it can have um, 
it can have a it can interact with um, contraception it can interact with anyone that's going through um, HRT or anything any other medication SSRIs it can it can impact these so it's not something that I would say you should go out and take but it's something potentially you could speak to your GP about um, and they can look at it in terms of your other medication and it's a it's a plant-based supplement but potentially has some uses most of the evidence is for pms symptoms and um menopause symptoms of menopause but it could potentially have impact elsewhere but that's very very um it's quite a low evidence base at the moment so it's like i said and it can be dangerous if you don't if you don't if you have it whilst doing anything else so it's not something i would blanket recommend okay um so the last question I'm going to ask you is kind of what's coming up next for Amelia and the coaching that you provide? So I am expanding, which is awesome. Um, I've just taken on a new coach who I can't say who it is yet, but this person is going to um, work with me to improve the service I offer in the sense of he's actually going, we're developing more of a group-based program which will be really nice because I've never been able to do that before just because I just don't have enough time. Um, and I very much love focus on my one-to-one clients. So this is going to, we're going to be able to build a bit of a community, which will be nice. Um, that shares the same values that we already do. So, you know, very mindfulness-based, very uh, compassion, potentially diet-based. We'll see what happens. So that's going to develop over the next couple of months. Um, whilst I just continue and do some more talks. So, Yes, it's good. I think, yeah, world domination in five years is the goal. <laughs> <laughs> nothing, nothing big, nothing too big, so. Uh, no, definitely. <laughs> and where can people find out more information about your your services and where to follow you on Instagram, Amelia? So I put everything on Instagram, really. So my Instagram is Amelia Thompson PhD, and. Um, I also have information on my website. So my website is www.emilia.fitness. And that's got some information on there. It's got a contact form on there, information about my other coach on there. Um, and anything that I'm doing tends to be put on there too. So Instagram is really the best place to find me though. Perfect. I'm going to tag you. I'm going to put you uh, all your information on the write-up. So it'll be up on iTunes and Spotify for everyone to have a look at. And if they're interested, definitely contact Amelia. And Amelia knows her shit. Uh, and I hope you guys have found this uh this episode really useful i've learned a lot i've been taking notes as we've been talking so mia thank you so much for coming on and giving up your time thanks for having me